Good morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord, our God, in the reading and proclamation of your word, we pray you will illumine our minds and hearts so that we may hear and understand your word, know and live according to your word, and become living letters of your word, equipped to follow Jesus in every part of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ our Lord, the living word. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this time, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Karin. Before we get in, isn't, isn't it just so good uh, to hear so many little kids' voices throughout the whole service? I love it. Um, and the dropping clipboards is even better. So <laughs> um, we're, we're explicitly and emphatically, we want to be a family church. We want to be a church where families feel welcome from birth until um, the more senior among us. But we are, we're a church for all of us, and uh, we have certain things for kids at certain times. But it's also important, it's really important to include even young children in the regular life of our church family because uh, God has included all of us into his family. I just, I was filled with gratitude. I had to share that. We're in, um, today is the fifth Sunday of Lent and we've been working through the season of Lent considering Jesus's own statements about who he is. Uh, Jesus, seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am, and then fills in the blank. And he gives us an image. It's a word picture that's designed to help us to understand a little bit better exactly who he is. Uh, those of you who are more right-brained, you're more artistic, you're more, whether you're, you're an artist or you're a poet or a musician, like you, you'll love this kind of stuff because it's just, it, it's ripe for our imagination. If you're really left-brained, if you're an engineer, um, this kind of stuff is going to be a little bit more work, but press in because we can still get to know Jesus in some very profound ways by letting him stretch us. So we're examining who Jesus is in light of who he says he is. 
Instead of us imposing our own ideas on Jesus, we're letting Jesus introduce himself. And so seven times he tells us, he says, so we've, we've, we've heard him say, I am the true vine. We explored what that meant. We've heard Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life. We've heard him say, I am the door. We've heard him say, I am the good shepherd. And all of these statements where Jesus tells us who he is and about himself, uh, we've been listening to know Jesus better. This morning, we're exploring Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. And I'll be honest, uh, this one really, I, I went into the week pretty confident, thinking this, is, this sermon is just about going to write itself, and it's been more of a wrestling match than any of the others have been. Uh, and yet, I've been really, really blessed. The more I've kind of wrestled through it, I, I've, seen, I've seen connections that I'd never seen before, namely... That right after this very famous, and if you've spent a lot of time in church, you've probably heard the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And yet it's immediately after that story that Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And I never understood the connection between those until this week. And I'm really eager to share uh, just what God's been teaching me. I'm not an expert, by the way. The pastor is not a a Bible expert. Charles Spurgeon, a, a British pastor in the 1800s, said, I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where I found bread. And that's how I feel this morning. I've discovered something this week, and I want to share it with you. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And light is a really important image in the Gospel of John. In John, Jesus talks a lot about light, and John talks a, light about, a lot about light. In fact, John opens his Gospel, and we read this verse every, every year at, Christmas, at our Christmas Eve service. This is the last passage we read in our service or a candlelight service. In John 1, John calls Jesus the light of men, and he says very famously, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's a powerful moment in our candlelight service when we're all holding, can't, we're all holding a light and, and thinking about Jesus, the light of all men. But John also wrote several other letters to the early church, and he talks about light and darkness there. So let me, as we, as we kind of, I want to give you a little bit of context and framework for where we're going. In the very first letter, 1 John, it's called 1 John chapter 1, John uses light and darkness to contrast the idea of coming to grips with our sin and confessing our sin versus hiding our sin. And he says when we confess and confront our sin, it's like living in the light. And when we hide our sin, that's living in the darkness. So listen to how he puts it. This is 1 John Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. He says, God is light. So there's this theme of light again. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, we claim we're one with him, yet we walk in the darkness, then we lie and we do not tell the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now that's pretty abstract. And I think John knows it's abstract because then he goes and explains himself. And he uses basically the exact same grammatical structure, but substitutes a couple of words. So here's what he writes in the following verses. If we claim to be without sin, if we claim we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, 
he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see what he's doing? First, he's saying if we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves. Then he says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's saying the same thing. He's just fleshing it out, putting skin on those bones. But if we live in light, then he purifies us from sin. And right after that, he says if we confess our sin, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You see, what John is teaching in this letter that helps to shed light on what he's writing in his gospel is that living in the light means not that we are sinless, but that we are honest about our sin and we take it to Jesus, the light of the world, and let him shine his light into our lives so that we can be cleansed from our sin. Living in darkness is claiming or believing that we have no sin. It's ignoring our sin or avoiding it because it's uncomfortable, and it is uncomfortable. But living in light means taking our sin to Jesus and letting him cleanse us from it. So now back to John 8. With that in mind, we have a woman who is caught. Verse 4 says they caught her in the act of adultery. Now, this is not really a sermon on the first 11 verses, although we're applying it there, so I don't have time to really flesh this out. But you can imagine the the tension and the shame that's present in this scene. And her sin is brought into full light here through no choice of her own. Just a little side note, by the way, the, the way the Pharisees approach this woman is reprehensible. And there is no excuse for dragging somebody else through the mud and exposing them publicly. Let's just, let's just be clear about that. And yet here she is dragged out in front of Jesus and presumably in front of a crowd and the Pharisees are looking to make a very public example of her and of Jesus. They're really trying to, to trap Jesus. And without, without really fleshing out all the details, we don't even have to. Can you imagine, just try to imagine what she might be feeling in this moment. I, like, I can't, my, my mind can't even go, I can't imagine a deeper shame, and yet it's so, I, I just can't imagine it. Here she is, in front of Jesus and a crowd, being put on trial And let me just read the rest of this to you. Hear the heart of Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I would love to know what he was writing. (laughs) And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, this is a very famous line, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, that's an interesting detail, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where'd they go? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go now and leave your life of sin. Or if you're used to the King James Version as I am, go and sin no more. And immediately into verse 12 we go, 
See, we're used to the story ending there. But right after that, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, in the worst possible way, and again, there's really no justification for how the Pharisees behaved here. In the worst possible way, this woman's sin was brought to light. And in this case, the Pharisees dragged her into the blazing light of Christ. And what does she receive from Jesus Christ, the light of the world? Not shame, not a guilt trip, not a finger-wagging rebuke. Neither do I condemn you, he says. Now go and sin no more. We are so conditioned to hide and to cover up our sin that we come to believe that if the light shines on our sin, that we'll be, I don't know, vaporized. I mean, how much time and effort and energy do we spend hiding our sin and pretending like it's not there? Who has ever come to church on a Sunday morning and somebody said, hey, how's it going? And you said, man, thank you so much for asking. I am, I am just struggling with sin this week. I am struggling. Like, no, how do you respond? I'm good. How are you? God forbid that anybody should find out that I sin. I remember one meeting. This was early on in my time here at Middle Street. It was probably about eight years ago. And, and I was grateful. We had a sweet honeymoon period. Pastors talk about the honeymoon period early on at a church. And, and it just, like, it was, it was almost uncomfortable. And people were treating me a little bit too good and too kind of Pastor Chris, the Messiah. And I'm like, I'm not. And I remember asking at one point in a meeting, like, how are you going to respond when you realize that I sin? And how are you going to respond when I sin against some of you sitting around this table in this room? Now, we've, we can look back on eight years, and most of you can probably identify a time that I have sinned against you. Some of you more than once. Probably most of you more than once. We try to cover up and try to hide our sin and pretend like it's, it's not an issue. It's almost as though we're like, we, just, we don't talk about that here. We don't talk about sin in polite company. And yet Jesus says we have to talk about that here. If we walk in the light, if we claim to follow him, we walk in the light. And if we walk in the light, he says we receive life. You notice that little phrase? Look back at verse 12. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We think that if our sin is exposed, it will lead to death. And Jesus says, if you bring your sin to me, it will lead to life. We wither and die when we walk in darkness, he says. I mean, think about it. This, this, image, is, this image is so obvious, it's, it, I almost feel silly sharing it, okay? But let's just, let's just, the most obvious image I can think of, light and darkness. If you walk into a dark room and you don't turn on the lights, what happens to the darkness? It's still there. Like the light stays, the room stays dark. Now, if you walk into a dark room and you flip the light switch, 
what happens? The whole room instantly blazing, filled with light. And what happens to the darkness? It, it, just, it just vanishes. It's just gone. And it's not like the darkness packed its bags and moved to the other room. Like the darkness is no more. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When we insist on hiding or ignoring or avoiding our sin, pretending like it's not that big a deal, it's like walking into a dark room and not flipping the switch and then being surprised that it's still dark in the room. On the other hand, when we confront and confess our sin and invite the light of Christ into our sin, it's like walking into the dark room and flipping the switch and the darkness is just gone. The only way to drive sin from our heart is to invite the light of Christ in. Hiding it will only make it worse. There's a corollary to this. This also means that you cannot invite Christ into your life, the light of Christ into your life, without confronting the sin in your life. To invite Jesus in necessarily means dealing with sin, which hurts, I know. It's not comfortable. Confessing our sin, like some some of us are, uh, and, and some of you have told me this, so this is how I know. Some of us aren't comfortable just saying a prayer of confession during the church service. It's not meant to be comfortable, by the way. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be life-giving. It's almost like pouring, if you get a cut and you pour hydrogen peroxide on that cut, it's not comfortable. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to make it better. And, And sometimes, many times, the only way to make it better is to introduce some pain and some discomfort. Not because we want the pain or discomfort, but because that's the, just the order that God has put into life. Or think of a different, think of a different image. Spring is coming. It's getting warmer. Thank God. So spring cleaning season is coming up. We're all going to get spring cleaning fever. And and if you're like me, you're going to go and you're going to want to clean out your basement, or as you call it, the cellar, or as some of you call it, the cella, right? And there's for those, there's an R at the end of cellar. Can I just point that out? Cellar, okay? So some of you call it, so, so we're going to clean out the cellar in our basement or the cellar, and it's just dark, and it's a little damp down there. And imagine it's a beautiful spring day, and there's no clouds, and the sun is shining brightly, and you've been in your cellar for hours, just straightening up and taking out trash, and you open the garage door, and then you step out into the blazing sunlight, and what happens? It hurts. The sunlight actually hurts your eyes and you have to shield your eyes. Confessing our sin is kind of like that. Like we've been living in the cellar. We've just been rummaging around and working. And when we invite the light into a dark place, like at first it hurts. But you know what also happens? Eventually your pupils get a little smaller and your eyes adjust. And then the light doesn't hurt as much anymore. Confessing our sin is like stepping out of the cellar and into the sun. And it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to shield your eyes for a little bit and get used to it. But you don't, like, do you want to stay in the cellar the rest of your life? I don't know, maybe some of you do. I don't know. 
No, you, we, we need to be outside. We need the fresh air. We need the sunlight. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable at first, but you will adjust and you'll be better for it. And here's the thing. Then you spend half an hour outside rummaging around and straightening up and your eyes get used to what's outside. And then you go back into your cellar and what happens? You can't see a thing. And you realize just how dark it was down there. Which brings up an important point, by the way. That, that whether you're outside or whether you're down in your cellar, your eyes will adjust. It is possible to adjust to a life in the cellar, so to speak, where you don't deal with sin at all. And as your pupils expand to make up for that lack of light, then eventually you'll think that that's normal. It's not, but your eyes will trick you into thinking it's normal. And without even realizing it, you spend more and more time in the cellar of your soul where it's just cold and damp and the air stands still. The surprise of the Christian faith is that our faith is not about us being as perfect as we can and getting all dressed up, whether that's literal or whether that's a metaphor, on Sunday morning and presenting our best self and showing the world or whoever is here our best version of ourself and hiding our flaws, that's actually not the Christian faith. John says, Jesus says, that's living in darkness. The Christian, in fact, with the deepest and most intimate relationship with Christ is somebody who will be open about sin. I don't mean somebody who will like come into church and just air out all their dirty laundry. Like there, there, are, there are times and places where it's more appropriate and times and places where it's less. And we're not talking about making a spectacle of this, but, but at the very least, we are talking about not pretending that we don't sin and hiding our sin. And in an unexpected twist, because this runs contrary to human nature, the Christian with the deepest and most intimate relationship with Christ is the person in the room who's most willing to confess their sin who's most willing because they know that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And if you've deeply received the grace of Jesus, if you've heard Jesus Christ, the Son of God, say as Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. If you hear Jesus himself, God himself, say there is no condemnation for you, then why are you afraid that other people might condemn you for your sin? Who cares? I mean, in a sense, Christians of all people ought to be the most okay with not being okay. That's not to say that we excuse our sin or we say we think sin itself is okay and we're not persisting in it. Notice what else Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. We're not talking about persisting in this. But we quickly admit and confess our sins so that we can be liberated, so that we can receive the light of life. Satan wants nothing more than for you to be paralyzed with fear at the thought that somebody might find out your sin. Why? Because you will, you will willingly spend the rest of your life in the darkness. And then his work is done. But the Christian knows that the best thing that can happen is to shine the disinfecting light of Christ on our lives. 
The Christian knows that if she stays in the darkness, then sin will be her master. And yet if she invites the light of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that she will gain mastery over sin. All because of those four powerful little words, neither do I condemn you. Let me just mention this. It's a little bit of a tangent, but it does, it does apply, I promise. If you feel condemned about your sin, you are not listening to Jesus. You might be listening to yourself and you might be listening to Satan. But if you feel condemned in your sin, you are not listening to Jesus. Because what did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. We're less than two weeks away from Good Friday. And on Good Friday, we're going to commemorate the day that Jesus was crucified and that he was killed as a ransom for our sin. Now, the other three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them record that as Jesus hung on the cross on Good Friday from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon for three hours, the world was mysteriously plunged into darkness. You remember that little detail from the story of the crucifixion? For three hours, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, which is 12 to 3, roughly, the sun was blotted out. In fact, the disinfecting light, the very Son of God, was snuffed out as the light himself became darkness. The Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says that in Christ, God who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To rephrase that a little bit with these images in mind, Jesus became darkness. The light of the world became darkness so that you can know his life-giving light. So walk in the light, Jesus says. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray together. Lord, we invite your light into our lives. We confess that we have hidden in darkness. We confess that a lot of times we would rather hide in the darkness. It's, it's less uncomfortable. It's easier. But we also know it will kill us. So give us the courage to open ourselves to your light and to the light of Christ. Give us the courage to admit our sin to you. And would you flood us with light? So much light that we find ourselves glowing because we have been filled with the light of life. Oh Lord, transform us and make us into your sons and your daughters. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.